This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome, this is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast show. Our community is made up of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs on Joy 94.9. There is something there for everybody. A Little Pot of Joy is where we highlight just some of these amazing programs. We're opening the evening with a podcast from Technogaze called String of Death. On the tech front, a specially crafted text message has been able to crash any iOS device. The bug in a widely used Apple library also affects iOS and Apple Watches. Terrifying. It is. And I have an iPhone. Oh, no. So I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. And if you just can't listen to the show live, you can always download the podcast from the Joy website, joy.org.au or the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Good afternoon, this is Technogaze here on Joy 94.9, the show where we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets and technology. I haven't done the introductions yet. I've got my... No! <laughs> and now, um, on today's show, um, um, a bit of iOS vulnerability doesn't go astray. Ah, oh, again. Now, iOS... This one's mm. actually uh, uh, tugged at my little heartstrings. Why is this? Are you are you fond of uh, iOS? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, I do have a number of phone, uh, devices that maybe run on iOS, including a new one. <laughs> in, you remember our deal before the show? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I have a new watch. It is of an unknown brand. Um, oh, mm, it's does on my it have wrist. a nice screen? It does. It's um, it's it's got a beautiful screen and a beautiful band Aww. as well. I'm quite happy with it. I'm a bit concerned so, that his wall, uh, his watch face is a photo of me. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> should get get that looked into. Yeah. So, with the iOS security vulnerability, does your watch is your watch affected by this? Well, apparently it is. I haven't. Let's s- talk about it. Yes, I I've. So, what is it? Um, a specially crafted 75 character message. Mm. Known as the string of death or effective power. What? It's yeah. true. This is the message that people were sending through. It says effective power and then some weird little Unicode strings that crashes your phone. Right. It's pretty good. How um, many people have you sent it to, Rainer? None. <laughs> well, let's put well, the- I, I, I don't think I can actually get it on my phone without <laughs> crashing my phone. Well, we couldn't put it in the, in the show document because it would have crashed all of our devices. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently, yeah, by by just insert or sending this, um, you all it needs to do is is be sent to the a phone that displays those messages in so, like the notification screen. Or so, so, so reading up, it, it only works on. <clears throat> excuse me, it only works on the notification screen. So mm. if you were in your text or surfing it on the internet, it's not going to crash. It's only when it shows up on that main on the actual main screen. Mm. And, and on uh, the um, notifications panel, apparently as well. Okay. Yep. Right. No Did, fun. And that's the thing that it's actually part of the, or a problem with the uh, Apple's core text library, which means it's it's a problem for pretty much every device, right? Yeah. OS ten, so laptops and 
stuff and yeah. servers, I guess. <laughs> but it's in one way, but in another way, it's good because what it shows is that Apple is actually reusing the same code across its broad range of well, product. Which this is an interesting argument that always comes up: is, is it good or bad? Is diversity a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to, especially when you're talking about uh, organisms like viri? And so forth. <laughs> but at least this way you fix the bug once and it gets fixed in multiple devices, whereas if you had five different versions, you could potentially have five different seeing, bugs to fix. Seeing the, light, seeing, seeing the good side of the, of the story there. Yes. yes. You're, you're, you're taking care of the uh, amount of resources required to fix this bug, aren't you? As an overhead <laughs> often would. Rather than one bug affecting <laughs> multiple, multiple devices. Well, the, I, I guess the, other, the flip side of that, of course, is Apple is a world <laughs> like they've got so many devices out there. The mm. fix is not just to fix the code, it's also to get that code out to deploy, into yeah. the uh, ether, of course. Now, yes, so um, we are waiting on information from Apple. Um, there is a, a fix available if you've jailbroken your iPhone, which, of course, <laughs> Apple do not recommend, um, but it's one yeah. way of getting yourself around it. One of the things that Apple has said to do if you do happen to get that message and it crashes your phone is to ask Siri to mark all the messages as read. Ah, and then reply to the malicious message, apparently. Of course, because asking Siri is not using the, the core text services, is it? It's just using uh, Siri's services, which is probably not uh, vulnerable in the same way. Interesting. So it's amazing how quick the world come up with a fix to a technical you know, problem as soon as something happens. Of Yeah, he's had a fix. It, you know, it's been out 10 minutes later, someone's like, oh, I found a fix. Yeah. Of course, the actual fix they, that they we'll need is to... Rewrite the code. Yeah. Um, hopefully that uh, it will be forthcoming. Otherwise, there's going to be lots of people sending texts for the next couple of weeks. I've already got it a couple of times for people, but oh, really? clever enough to turn off the notification screen. Because I knew they were going to they were going to be sending this. <laughs> Always helpful. Crash us if you can. <laughs> um, what else is there to talk about today on Techno Gaze? Oh, we're in the tinfoil hat section. <laughs> I love this. Where's I my... forgot the sound effect. <laughs> crunchy, 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 crunch. <laughs> uh, um, so. The Australian law enforcement uh, agencies have banded together to set up a national face recognition database. Yeah, they're hoping to take uh, photos from passports and driver's licences and visa applications to uh, mm. seed the database to look out for bad guys. I guess we what all missed that possibly little. Possibly go wrong. <laughs> I guess we missed. We all missed that little checkbox when we had our photos taken at the post office that said, uh, "This will eventually be included in a national register," and you, you don't. Do you you're, consent? you're consenting to that right now by us taking the photo. <laughs> I, it's kind of got to a point now where government agencies or governments around the world have, have sort of decided, you know, it's a free-for-all. Um, all the information that you submit to us, no matter which agency you submit it to us through, is now fair game for every other agency as well. So it's it's really, like, I'd, I'd hate to say it, but it's actually not a massive surprise that they've decided to, to go down this path. You know, it's... it's when you think about it, it's almost a logical um, step to make. But where's the discussion? Where's the debate? I, I think if the, if the sole purpose of this is to catch criminals, yes. then, then sure. This, this you know, know, takes us into the lovely territory of what's the intent versus what the actual use is. And, yep. of course, when these systems are put in place, you have authorities and, and multiple authorities who have access to it. All it needs is one single person to have access to it who may not... Um, be so, you know, across the um, the well, legalities of we, use of said system, mm. and suddenly they they the mm. it's vulnerable. It's it's available for all. We hear it all the time yeah. of of people saying, "Oh, you know, uh, 
officer such and such was arrested for misappropriate use of mm. of the database system. Yeah, and it could be something simple like, um, or in in relative terms, a small thing that affects a small number of people, like just you know looking up someone's details for a friend or, or whatever, which you know. Like, on the scale of things, is a small thing. I'm sure for the people that are involved in that situation, mm. it's not. Um, but, you know, it could also become a much bigger thing. Uh, you know, when you have uh, people in agencies that maybe um, are affiliated with uh, organisations that aren't, you know, this is like mm. cloak and dagger stuff here that we're talking about. But The other thing is, you know, we have a, a political regime today that's quite open and friendly. What's going to be... What's it going to be like in the future? Mm. And suddenly, if you've got all of the surveillance in place and ability to track people, and you've got a government in there that is more, what's the word? Um, Open with sharing their data? Yes, (laughs) and closed at uh, free speech, then uh, it's not good. Oh, so Mark Powney, you, in 2014, were recorded going down the Swanson Street walk at this time. Therefore, that means you were... You're implicated in, in and, something. And yeah. we heard your conversation, because your iPhone was in your pocket, <laughs> yes. or your watch was on your wrist. And <laughs> Not far from my, my mouth. And you said this. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite concerning stuff that's, um, that's going on there. Joy 94.9 in Melbourne. Joy.org.au for the world.
You're on Joy 94.9, and this is A Little Pot of Joy with Alice and Andrea. Up next, we have a little podcast from Hide and Seek about marriage equality in practice. Mm, With the recent fantastic result in Ireland of the referendum on same-sex marriage, the political debate in Australia is finally coming to a head. So if you can't listen to the entire podcast, go to the the Joy website, www.joy.org.au. All podcasts are available for download from the Joy website or the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Hide and seek. You are on Hide and Seek on Joy 94.9, your program for exploring sex, sexuality and self. Andrew the Apprentice here. Now, of course, you will have seen the news, no doubt, of the uh, referendum that happened in Ireland over the weekend, which uh, fantastic result there. And right across the world, we are having marriage equality happening right around and New Zealand being the nearest one, of course. And I was just having a look uh, in New Zealand, about 61% of same-sex couples who got married came from Australia to get married there. And of course, the, the referendum in Ireland has led to a very quick response here in Australia and uh, with the Australian Labor Party announcing they're going to introduce a marriage equality bill next week. The Greens are also saying the same thing. And Tony Abbott just this evening has uh, um, advised that he is, well, he's hinting that uh, same-sex marriage should be brought before Parliament through a cross-party bill. The media is saying that it's a major shift in his language on reform. So we'll see what happens there. They do think now that they have the numbers in the lower house after Anna Burke this evening from Labor announced, declared her support. And also the Palmer United Party's Senator Wang has also announced his support. And Ricky Muir is expected to announce his support next weekend. So it is all happening. So on the show tonight, we are talking uh, with David and Mark about marriage quality. We've just heard how it all happened over in San Francisco back in February. Proposal on the cruise ship and then a, less than a week later getting married in uh, City Hall at uh, in San Francisco. Six-day engagement. Six-day engagement. Shotgun wedding. <laughs> Shotgun wedding. It only took 28 years to get there. <laughs> so, so tell us, um, so you get back to Australia a few days later. You basically walk through the customs gates and... Would it not be as if nothing's happened? Well, I believe they actually used to have a letter at immigration saying that same-sex marriages weren't recognised. I'm not sure if that's actually the case. Right. We certainly didn't feel that. We felt... Um, obviously, we were disappointed that it, that it's not recognised here. But we, from our perspective, it was we really wanted to to make that commitment publicly. And, and we, you know, it would have been lovely if we'd had family and, mm. fr- and friends, more family and friends. But look, the love and support we got from our family and friends when we got back, and just the elation at us getting married was great. Most of them just said, "Why didn't you tell us? We would have been there. We wanted to be there. Yeah, this isn't fair." which is exactly how we feel ourselves, that it's not fair that we had to go to get married in San Francisco. San Francisco, great place to get married, but it's not recognised here, and that's just not fair. So after after 28 years, has the last three or four months been different? Do you you have a different sense of self? I get growled at more. (laughs) Impossible. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it was funny. We came back. We were certainly on a high. That's how I felt. Yeah, that, okay. And it, even to David the point... David told everybody even that we were married. I was telling taxi <laughs> drivers... Shop assistants <laughs> and but, but in San Fran, but not here. It was funny. I, not honestly, okay. no. Yeah, and, yeah. and I didn't feel that publicly I could make that statement back here. But over there... And people would just be embracing you and being so excited. Even the Uber driver. Yeah. yeah. We had a taxi driver. It was in tears with, of joy for us. So, oh, wow. But honestly, coming back here, that's not what you'd be doing down at the local deli. So was it, did it feel like going back in time 28 years? Not going back in time. It felt it, – it reaffirmed – our relationship mm-hmm. it, it was good what's happening back here with we're still waiting we just felt good that we were able to do it we were very fortunate that we were able to yeah we understood that we knew that how lucky that. we were to be able to yeah. go yeah. over there and do that and, and yeah and so many people can't or can't even get to new zealand and do it mm. and still the fact that it wasn't recognized here we we weren't really thinking of that we was just still actually wanting because before we left actually we had, had thought of going on the victorian registry just for legal recognition of our, our same-sex relationship yes. just because we also wanted that legal uh, well, legal safety guard, really, just to, to protect our relationship. And, and we had looked at doing that at the town hall, but obviously this is, this is something else that, that came up. And that, that's what, something I wanted to explore a little bit, and, and you may know this better than, than I do. From what I've seen, a, a domestic partnership, I think that's what it's called now, um, domestic partner rights here in, here in Australia, and Victoria in particular, uh, provide pretty much the same type of legal protection as 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 marriage isn't is that they, correct that, i believe that is correct yes same thing though we we have medical power of attorneys and we have enduring power of attorneys as well which which is always a good thing to have regardless yeah. Yeah. but we've we've done so much over the years because if you think when we did get together 28 years ago uh, there was no protection for same-sex yeah. couples so legally. You needed to have a medical so power of attorney, or if something happened, you could you wouldn't even have the rights to necessarily be with your partner. So, but yes, certainly that has changed now. Those mm. those laws have changed, and I believe the domestic partner is recognised. So, so that raises a question for for the cynics out there: is why bother? Why bother getting married? What's it mean? To us, it was important. I think it was a, a recognition of the 28 years that we have been together and just just a feeling of self-worth. And I, I know that doesn't sound right, but it's but It was a public expression yeah. of, of our commitment to each other. And honestly, it, it was such an emotional experience. I didn't think we would be that emotional about it when it happened because it is just a... It was a very short ceremony and, and very simple and we didn't, ha- you know, we didn't have any other words to say apart from what what the normal ceremony was. And but we were certainly both emotional, and and we're. Yeah, there's not many um, photos where I'm not crying. <laughs> red eye reduction. <laughs> and then I suppose when we came back, despite it not being recognised, we still then had a celebration as well. We and that really was like our our post wedding soiree. So we had a bit of a party with family and friends, and that. That was, a, it was great. The, the love in the room. And I performed my wedding song. I was yeah. so nervous, but we had a little venue with a piano and I got up and sang it. And that, that was even that was much harder than doing it to Mark, obviously, because it was so personal to me. But I also wanted it, to share it to everyone because it was, yeah, it came from my heart. And, and I'm, yeah, quite a num- number of people in the room were, were touched as well. So 
but the lo- the love in the room was palpable, and it was from our perspective, it was a yeah, it was a lot of fun and, and a great celebration. And you think like we experienced that. There's so many couples out there that haven't experienced that and can't experience that at the moment. Mm. And hopefully, the laws will change so they can. And there's there's no reason why they shouldn't. We just shake our heads in disbelief like a lot of couples. You're listening to A Little Part of Joy on Joy 94.9 with Andrea and Ellis. Up next from Well, 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 family violence in the community. In this episode, special guest Dr. Philomena Horsley joins Tex, Jack and Murray to discuss family violence in the LGBTIQ community. Dr. Horsley is a senior trainer and research fellow at Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria, part of La Trobe University, and she takes us through what family violence actually consists of in real terms. And this is an incredibly important podcast, isn't it? So if you just can't listen to the show live or if you want to go back and listen to the full podcast, you can download all of them from joy.org.au or the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. This is Well, Well, Well on Joy 94.9 and you're in the studio with Tex, Jack and Murray. And on today's show, we have a very special guest, Philomena Horsley. Now, Philomena, can you first of all tell us briefly about your role within the GLBTI community and your work in your submission to the Royal Commission into Family Violence? Okay. Uh, So I uh, work as a researcher and a trainer at Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria, which is part of La Trobe University. So I've spent the last 18 months travelling all around Victoria running training for the aged care sector Mm -hmm. around um, issues for older LGBTI people, um, getting that sector kind of ready. (laughs) <laughs> no, yeah, it's um, open, inclusive, mm. informed and so on. Um, but my, in my past work, I have had a lot to do with um, gender and violence, um, both in a community sector role, but also in terms of lecturing around gender-based violence. So when the Royal Commission was announced, which I think is a fantastic initiative mm. for mm. the Victorian government, Mm. Um, we decided within Gay and Lesbian Health Victoria it was really important that we put in a submission um, to open the eyes of people involved in the family violence sector to the issues specific to LGBTI population, um, but also to recognise that, you know, within our broader role of improving the health and wellbeing of LGBTI Victorians, that family violence was a key issue, but very, very under-researched and under-mentioned in our community. Just on that point, Hmm. what exactly is meant by family violence within the context of GLBTI? That's a great question, John, and I'm going to read specifically from the Victorian Family Violence Protection Act because I think this is a really key issue. We see a lot in the media around, you know, family violence in quotation marks, but people generally um, talk about and default to the issue of current or ex-partners in adult relationships. And in fact, the Family Violence um, Royal Commission is looking at the breadth of family violence. So they define family violence as acts of physical and sexual violence, which are in fact criminal criminal offences, but it also includes economic, emotional and psychological abuse. So so stealing someone's money or Mm. coercing their money out of them, you know, psychologically terrorising them. So it then expands to behaviour that is threatening or coercive or controlling or dominating a family member and causes them to fear for themselves and their well-being. Mm. So that's a bigger picture Mm. again. Then they also make clear that it also includes children being exposed to violence so if partners are being violent family members are being violent in front of children even Mm. though the violence Mm. is not directed at the children that's family violence then they also make i know this goes on a bit but (laughs) 
It is a really important point. So it relates to partners, but it also relates to siblings. It relates to other family members like parents and grandparents, children being violent to, to parents and to other family members. And so in that sense, it involves same-sex couples, um, violence against um, children by siblings, um, elder abuse, so family members, you know, um, economically controlling mm. um, the money or physically assaulting. And it also relates to carers in specific situations. It's quite detailed, isn't it? And it's so very broad reach. It's it? a very broad reach. So mm. people default to this notion of domestic violence or intimate partner violence, but yep. in fact family violence is around everyone being safe within the context of families in that broad sense. Mm. So, I mean, in saying that, then some people may be suffering family violence and, and not be aware of it. Absolutely. And mm. that's one of the key issues in our submission, that... Um, not only in the broader community, but quite specifically to our community, that people won't recognise yeah. what's mm-hmm. happening to them as, as violence or abuse or exploitation, whatever word you know people want to use, mm-hmm. because they just think, oh, it's, it's a male yep. beating up his female partner. Yep. That's pretty much the basic notion people have when yes. they think of family violence. Is there an idea of the prevalence in our community? We know from you know the, the research we've done that one in three gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people, intersex was not um, enough people to kind of claim this, have had an experience of being in an abusive partner relationship. Now... One of those studies showed that it could have been either sex Mm. involved um, um, and the other one showed that around one in three had had an experience in a same-sex relationship. So we're we're arguing pretty much from what we know, one in three have Mm. had some experience of partner abuse or or violence. Looking at young people aged 14 to 21, certainly those young people are talking about being physically assaulted by parents when they come out to them. Mm. So that constitutes family violence. But it's not recognised in mm. different ways as, as family violence. But it is. It's mm. homophobic-based family violence. We don't know how many young people specifically are experiencing that because most of what they tell us they experience is at school. But if you turned it around and looked at specifically in relation to families, yeah. Do you think the word, when you say family violence, that a lot of people in the GLBTI uh, community don't connect with the word family violence? It's an interesting question. Um, in some ways... If they're hearing it through the prism of heterosexuality or, you know, gender Mm -hmm. conformity, wouldn't relate to it. But on the other hand, we do talk about our families. We talk about our families of choice, Mm. um, you know, who we love, who we've connected to, as well as our, you know, families of origin. So in that sense... You know, it's hard to say. Now, last year, if you remember, um, there was the murder of Stuart Rattle by his partner of 16 years. Now, that was very much presented in the media as a murder. Mm. But in fact, that was a domestic homicide. Mm. And what we know from the Australian Institute of Criminology is that 2% of domestic homicides in Australia are same-sex partner homicides and they suspect that that is underreported but in the media that wasn't presented no. as family violence that was presented as murder but in fact it follows the same pattern as all, you know all the heterosexual based stories that we hear about do you think the current thinking about male violence um, against women in heterosexual relationships you know, like regarding patriarchy and male privilege are useful concepts when we're talking about um, gay lesbian bis- bisexual transgender intersex relationship violence it's an interesting question, Tex, and it's a complex one because mm-hmm. in, in many ways we know that the predominant 
nature of violence um, in Australian society and particularly in the family context is, is male. Um, but if we're, it's not helpful when we're looking, when terms such as, you know, male-based violence are used in the context of our community because we know from the research, you know, women are violent to women, both physically and emotionally, and trans people experience it and also, you know, um, are perpetrators as well. So what we suggest is if you actually take it a bit apart and think about masculinity and femininity. So what some of the research suggests is that um, in the dynamics of um, same-sex male relationships, so gay or bisexual men in relationships with men, um, they argue the people perpetrating the violence argue this is part this is a natural part of how men relate to men mm. and therefore this violence is kind of like what you would expect in a, in a gay relationship boys will be boys sort of boys thing. will yep. be boys oh you know we get a bit rough okay mm. but you know you shouldn't worry about that so that's masculinity and then on the opposite side when you've got um, bisexual or lesbian women in same sex relationships you've got the opposite of notions of femininity which is women can't be violent or women wouldn't mm. be violent to each other because it's an equal relationship mm. it doesn't have the mm. dynamic of male female so that doesn't work there so you've got the myth making there and then you've got the hyper masculinity in the other side so I think we need to keep the concepts of gender there but they need to be kind of connected to issues around sexual and gender diversity Absolutely. And just you, you, you touched on briefly trans. What do mm. we know about uh, mm. trans violence in trans relationships? We know generally trans people, um, both male and female, experience higher levels of violence generally in terms of the community than lesbian, gay or bisexual people. We don't have research in Australia that looks specifically at the family violence area, but the research particularly done in Scotland suggests that trans people experience high levels of partner violence and family violence and that's trans people who either are not transitioning or in the process of transitioning or have transitioned and that that's a really vulnerable time the transition process in particular and clearly that's directed at them because they're out set their partner manipulates those notions of um, you're outside the gender norms people won't support you people won't recognize it as violence and you know and particularly if they're in the process of transitioning and they're not out about that mm. they become really vulnerable to coercion and manipulation so we'd really like to do some more work in that mm. space particularly yeah. yeah we've heard it reported before that that shame and secrecy often surrounds some um, people who are uh, trying to leave uh, difficult and violent relationships do you think it's even truer in the glbti community i i think it is um i think both there's the issue around shame that comes uh, from original sources of shame around our gender or sexual identity and that may mm. be unresolved then you've got the issue of being in a relationship that that is has got its own notions of shame and the fear that other people in your networks friendship and social networks may find out and then you've got the issue of what happens if i seek help Will will service providers treat me badly? Will they understand what's happening? Will they actually take it seriously? Or will they just see it as, oh, well, that's part of the sickness that's to do with this gender or sexual diversity? So you've got a real kind of, you know, maelstrom of issues there that are that are many layered um, around shame and, and, and fear, mm. I think. And I think they really assist... Um, perpetrators in keeping people under their control. You're on Joy 94.9 and this is a little pot of joy with Alice and Andrea. Now up next we have from Chatterbox, 
Kerry of PFLAG. Special guest is Kerry Beitzel from Parents and Friends of Lesbian and Gay Victoria, PFLAG. Kerry talks about her reaction to her son's coming out and how she got involved in this wonderful organisation, what it's about, where it is going and how they need new support to keep it going. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the Joy website or from the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. You're listening to Shadowbox with Brett and Andrew on Joy 94.9. Well, good evening, Australia. And good evening, my love. Good evening, my love. How are you? Oh, look, I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm super, super excited tonight because we've got a little bit of a twist on our regular Chatterbox. We do, don't we? We've got a very special guest tonight. We do. Our guest tonight is the gorgeous Kerry Beitzel from PFLAG, which stands for Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. So welcome to the show, Kerry. Yay! Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Carrie, good. You're no stranger to, to Joy, are you? You've been on Joy before. I have, I have. I love coming through the building of Joy. I remember when you were in um, off Clarendon Street. Yeah. Yes. When I got the Mother's Day Award down. Oh, did you? Oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> they had no one else, I don't think, as a kept coming back. <laughs> <laughs> now, if people have been living under a rock and they don't know what P flag is, Tell us a little bit about what PFLAG stands for and how PFLAG came to be. Well, it's it's always been a support group for yep. other parents and also for um, uh, siblings, for friends yep. when they come out. And uh, what has happened over the years, uh, the change I've seen, sometimes the sons and daughters come to PFLAG because their parents have come out. Oh, wow. Naturally, wow. What was happening in the 70s and um, Earlier than that, people yeah. would get married because it was what was expected was yeah, in yeah. that double life. Then they would come out yeah. and then the sons and daughters would be just lost or the wives or the husbands would be lost. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like very, you know, so they stopped living that double life. So I've seen that change as well. But I've also seen the amazing thing with the PFLAG, that support. But, you know, the, um, the shock people have. We have a saying in PFLAG, when our children come out of the closet, we go into the closet. And that's very true. That is very true. Mm. Well, this reminds me of a new show that Andy and I have been watching is Grace and Frankie. I'm not sure if you've heard no. about it. And it's um, Lily Tomlin and Jane, Jane Fonda. Fonda. And they're women in their early 70s and their husbands both come out and decide to leave them. Oh, wow. And um, they start this... Both both couples almost like form these two new couples and they start this new life together. And it's quite heaven. Fantastic. It's absolutely heaven. So it's very positive speaking. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> On um, what can be quite a um, devastating time. Yes. But, but that's really interesting that you mentioned the fact that there have been children of people that have come out later in life come to PFLAG because... We had, and I won't name them for obvious reasons, but yes. we had a guest on the show quite a while ago whose father came out as gay and she didn't have a problem accepting it at all, but her mother never knew. They'd split up. Her mum and dad had split up years ago yeah. and her mum never knew and she'd never told her mum and mm. she probably struggled with that a little bit mm. because she was so comfortable with her dad but she wasn't comfortable enough to tell her mother about it mm. it's interesting um, mm. it really is and I think all the are, layers there are yes. so many dynamics at mm. play when somebody comes out yes. that it's not just as straightforward as I'm gay 
Yeah. We love you. Yeah. We're Absolutely. definitely P flag in summary, we really are a support group. Yeah. A support group for anyone who needs our support. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, like the needs, the, the, the cycle of acceptance from when I first got involved with P flag. The cycle of acceptance would be maybe at least 18 months, sometimes up to four years. Yeah. Wow. Now you'd see it. It wouldn't be beyond 18 weeks usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes you talk to people after a couple of cups of tea, they might be... So can I ask, what, what do you think has changed that, though? What do you think has, has, has sped that process up? Well, it's just, I think it's so out there now. Yeah. yeah. And now we're seeing this huge movement now with the trans, like even Bold and the Beautiful, yeah. which yeah, I'm yeah. watching, religiously, uh, <laughs> with a good excuse <laughs> research for PFLAG. Yes. But now we're seeing what's happening there. Uh, yeah. That is an, I never thought in my lifetime I would ever see such mm. acceptance for the trans community. Yeah, yeah. Even though that personally hasn't affected me because my son isn't trans, yeah. Yeah. gay. But I just find that phenomenal. And we've had a message pop through. This is a message from a past guest and a dear friend of both of ours, and it's the person who put us in touch to get you on the show tonight, which is the lovely Michael Kendall. And it says, hi, boys, love the show. Kerry said, when we come out of the closet, our parents go into it. What did she mean? Good on you, Mike. <laughs> Mike is my favourite, my closest, closest male BFF, yep. MFF, what is it? BFF. BFF. Yeah, whatever it is. That's what Mike is. And um, As long as you didn't say DILF, that would have been awkward. <laughs> oh, I don't know what that even stands for. No, no I'll, tell you, I'll tell you in the break. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, uh, what happens, well, actually it's a very good um, question for this next part. When Andrew, my son, came out, I was really known, I said this earlier, most of it's politically incorrect to say this, but I was a true fag hag. I remember yep. being at Mardi Gras in the very early days of Mardi yeah, Gras, wow. sitting with Adrian in the stand and saying, oh, there's PFLAG, I could join that because I'm a friend. He goes, oh, don't be so ridiculous. And um, I said, I would love to join that. That sounds great. Anyway, that was all right. And I remember my daughter saying to me about Andrew, she goes, oh, he does... Um, he goes, I think he could be gay. He's very, and I said, oh, no, he's just artistic the way he wants to do yep. interior decorating in our home. And then I noticed some things he did were very much like what Adrian did. I said, oh, isn't that lovely? I've got a young version of Adrian. Yep. Now, I had... So who was Adrian? Uh, he was my closest gay, gay friend. friend. Yeah. Close, he was the president of the Collingwood Cheese Squad, Adrian Ratcliffe. Oh, wow. Okay. Very gorgeous, gorgeous Adrian, yep. too. Another <laughs> very, very clo- best friend, too, especially of that era. He was my closest. I was close to him than to my brother or anyone. And um, so it was okay. And then... Andrew had been somewhere, and I just I said to him, we're driving along. Now, I'm not from that. I'm from the other side of town. So yes. I was over near the Maribyrnong River driving, and I said to Andrew, Andrew, now, look, you know, if you're gay, you can tell me. I said, look at my gay friends, as if I'm going to care if you're gay or not. Yeah. So I'm just driving away and thinking, obviously, the answer's no, because I wouldn't have been asking that question. He said, yes. Yeah. I nearly drove into the river. No. I nearly drove wow. into the Maribyrnong River. I did not know the area, and I went, oh, my gosh. Now, that is – I remember when people come to our home, friends of mine from the football cheese squads, to, and Dad was so open. He was amazing. And he used to go to their parents' homes and help them to, you know, tell the, their kids yeah, coming yeah, out yeah. and all this in the 70s and 80s. And yet – so I came in this really inclusive, amazing family sure. home and so, you know, involved in the community. But when it was my son, and I remember we got home and Andrew said, and whenever there's always a problem, I always go straight to food. That's why I'm such a chubby. Looks like I've got a tragic life and I haven't. But I, I was opening the fridge and I actually didn't feel like eating, which was a miracle in itself. And Andrew said, look, you've always wanted two sons. This might be where you get two sons. I went, oh, okay. And, oh. and I sat in front of my computer for about six weeks. Yeah. I was numb. 
absolutely numb. And I found it really hard because of all my gay friends and being so involved in the community, how yeah. could I even tell anyone how I felt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I went so into that closet. I went super into that closet. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. that was how I, you know, rang up people. So can I ask a question, Kerry? Firstly, yeah. how old was Andrew when, when he came out? 13. Which is super young. Yes. Yeah. And um, 13 and a half. Wow. Yeah. And secondly, what do you think drove that reaction in you, being as you were so involved in the gay community and you were so familiar with gay people, what do you think drove that that reaction in you when it came from your own son? Because my mum was a little bit similar, a very mm. accepting of all of my gay friends, mm. but struggled a little bit more when it was me. So what do you think drove that reaction in you? I think for me, I was wrong. I am comple- was completely wrong with this. And I remember one, I didn't need P-flag for very long, to be honest, yeah. before the acceptance really kicked in. But I remember someone saying to me, the dreams you have for your son are, he, are not his dreams. And I realised, oh, my gosh. And we have a, there's a commercial in, um, in Queensland of, um, that I've seen of the baby being born in the maternity ward who's, you know, and they yep. say, oh, your baby's gay. Now, I would love a dollar for every parent who said to me when all the, uh, they would have no problem with their kids were gay, no problems whatsoever. And I think, isn't that great when you've got five straight kids? Isn't that great when you've got three straight yeah. kids? I think... I did not want to see my son being a minority group. Yeah. I wanted. I didn't want to see. I wanted his. I did not want him to have any pain yeah. at all. I yeah. was far too protective. You know, it's still terrible what's out there. Yeah. What yeah. is going on? And we're still in a true homophobic world. Like, but I just think we're still. We've come a long way. God, I can't believe that how far we've all come. Yeah. As a society, but gee whiz, we've still got a long way to go. Kerry, you've been a fabulous guest tonight. You really have. If people want to know more about P Flag, where do they go? There's a website. We're on Facebook. P Flag. P Flag Just Google us. P Flag Victoria. We'll come up there. And um, for all the parents who are struggling, if you uh, young people out there, if your parents are struggling. Just ask them to give us a ring. They know they're not on their own. We're a group. We're a family. It's all part of the Rainbow family. Fabulous. Give us a call. Thank you. My love, any final words? Just thank you, Kerry. You've been absolutely delightful, and it was an absolute joy to have you on. And good night, Melbourne. We will see you next week. Absolutely. Good night, Australia. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy with Alice and Andrea. And that's the end of another wonderful evening. It's been fantastic as always, hasn't it? It's been a lot of fun. And there's some pretty interesting content out there. As you can see, it's been quite diverse this evening. And we always like to encourage you, if you enjoy listening to A Little Pot of Joy, to go back to the Joy website because there's just so many podcasts that we can't include. You can find more complete podcasts on the Joy website, joy.org.au, or download them for free from the iTunes store. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favourite podcasts free. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.